Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Future Chat. We are here with the cast of, I guess the cast and crew of the desktop podcast because Nick is gone. Mike, how you doing? I, I'm doing great. I feel like this is our second episode of desktop. <laughs> technically but third. It, I guess, is this technically third? Yes, it is. It would it's be It's not third. though, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I think just for, for context, and this is a thing we wanted to follow up on anyways, um, first of all, if you haven't heard Mike and my new show, you should go to unwindmedia.com slash desktop and uh, you can listen to the first two episodes, the pilot episode, which we recorded about a month ago, and then the episode we recorded last week in lieu of a future chat, which was uh, last week. And I think this is going to be more of a topical news-centered discussion show, whereas that is going to be more evergreen topics and kind of picking one or two broad things we want to discuss that kind of relate to technology, but don't necessarily involve technology directly. And uh, I I really like doing it. It's a nice break from the news um, where my tendency is to talk about or be concerned and talk about politics a lot. <laughs> and so it's nice to have that kind of escapism. Uh, and this, not to say that this isn't, but every, once, every week or so, it seems like we're going to have a new story. Like the new FCC chair is a terrible person and wants to destroy everything. Or the new head of the EPA has been actively against the EPA for the last couple of decades. It's like, okay, we need another thing. We need to not dwell on these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I find it's nice because it gives us a chance to, I'd say, almost be nostalgic about a lot of stuff or at least reflective. Yep. And it's, uh, and, and related to technology most of the time, I'd say. Yeah, so yeah I agree. It's, uh, I don't know. For, for those who have grown up with technology and have fond memories of technology in their lives, whether it be video games or with school or work or, or whatnot, it's, uh, yeah, it's a nice chance to kind of reflect on those types of things. Um, actually on, on that note, we talked last week a little bit of, um, inside baseball about podcasting and about the network. And I wanted to follow up on that by saying that all the podcasts are now submitted and accepted on Google play, which is a pretty exciting moment for me because I've been waiting for like a year. We had a year of technical debt where I couldn't submit any shows to Google play because of the way blogger does its podcast feeds. Um, and then, so they got accepted and that's cool. And I, I added them to my Google play subscriptions or however podcasts, they're kind of podcasts are a new thing for Google play and they're not quite, uh, they're not quite where they need to be in my opinion. For instance, uh, you can't actually listen to podcasts in the mobile apps unless you're in the States. So we have our podcast submitted, but there's no podcast section in the Canadian Google play music app which I did not know and did not expect, but is absolutely the case. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm surprised they're able to use the term podcast. Like, Why? I would have well, I would have thought it was trademarked by Apple. Is I don't think it's actually trademarked, though. I think it's that, just... I. That's what I mean. I would have thought it was, but it must not be if they're right. allowed to use it. I think it was kind of... It was a portmanteau of iPod right. broadcast. Um, but... It it has definitely if it didn't already it has it has transcended the iPod now and it's mostly just how younger people listen to radio I would say <laughs> right well I know there's uh, there's clauses in copyright law I guess that mm-hmm. relate to terms that enter the mainstream use yes without being specific to that brand's thing mm-hmm. and uh, Photoshop 
has been been used as a prime example of this yeah. because I, I know a couple of times in recent memory there have been uh, graphics and screenshots sent around Twitter talking about how the Adobe's I don't know if it's a style guide but there there's there's a section on their site somewhere that says you know when referring to uh, our products, you must say Adobe Photoshop photo editing suite or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's like, and then it's like, do not say Photoshopping, yeah, say yeah. using Adobe Photoshop pro or whatever. And it's right. like, they're, they're really going to great extent to like maintain <laughs> that Photoshop trademark. Yeah. Well, and they, they legally, I think part of having a trademark is you have to legally, you legally have to enforce it to the best of your ability. And so you have to not only defend kind of the generic or defend against the generic use of, of a copyrighted or a trademark term, but if someone tries to use it in an official way, you have to file a cease and desist. You have to legally stop them from trying to do so. Even, uh, even if you kind of actually want people using it in a generic way, if you want to hang on to the trademark, you have to fight it. Mm-hmm. And there, like another famous example is Googling. Like Googling is a verb now in modern usage. and But Google will never use that term in its advertising. It will always say, I'm going to do a Google search. And if you if you look on, on TV shows, for instance, you'll see if Microsoft is a, is a sponsor of the show in some way, like I know CBS has a lot of Microsoft sponsored shows, you'll see Bing searches, literally using Bing searches. But anytime you see a Google search, it is some other kind of weird word that sounds like Google and it, the typeface looks like the old Google typeface, but it's specifically not Google because Google is trying to make their, mm-hmm. their they want to hang on to that trademark because it's extremely lucrative for them. Um, yeah, Kleenex is another one where that was a brand name that is now basically just any tissue is like pass me a Kleenex, even if it's not like Kleenex brand. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Any show that uses Microsoft product placement, specifically Bing searches, I'm like, that is so fake. It's like, no <laughs> one goes to Bing to search for anything. I it's, I think I mentioned it before, but like my manager, his homepage is Yahoo and right. it goes for a lot of people. And I think that's the only time when people might use a non-Google search engine is when it's their default homepage mm-hmm. and they'll just use it. And I've done, I've done it before too. Like I'll type a search in the internet Explorer search bar if I'm somewhere and right. it's a Bing search because that's the default search engine, which I'm like, Oh, whatever. Yeah. But if, if I'm actually going to go do some searching, searching, I'll, I'll go to Google. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the trademark law is super weird and it makes me not ever want to have a trademark on anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, Probably like Apple's obviously made a conscious decision not to enforce podcast as right. yeah. an exclusive trademark because like iTunes is arguably still the place to go for podcasts, at least to yes. like for Apple users, for Apple users. Now there's enough third party clients mm-hmm. that you don't have to be subject to using iTunes. Yeah. Um, but I think people generally associate podcasts with iTunes, even if you have no interaction with iTunes in the course of your experience. Like for me, I don't even touch iTunes. I subscribe to podcasts through RSS. I don't use iTunes links, obviously. And like I'm with Android for my main, main personal device. So yeah. um, Yeah. RSS, RSS links and, and pocket cast is the the client that I use and Mm -hmm. been happy with it. Don't, don't see any reason to feel like I'm missing out by not having the, the Apple experience. Right. And on on my end, I in theory it would actually be easier for me to use Apple because like all my things are either iTunes or Apple. 
but the podcast player I use is Overcast, uh, which is iOS only, unfortunately, because it's really good. And basically the only reason it's uh, iOS only is that it's a one guy development team and he uses Apple products. Like he's an Apple developer. So that's just how things go. But uh, the reason that I use it over in like, for instance, the iTunes app, even though technically it's probably just more robust, like syncing is syncing. Like if you want to use overcast on a desktop computer, you have to use the web interface, which is not that I have a, a specific problem with that, but you can't like, you can't download shows. You can't, uh, there's a number of things that would be nice to have on a desktop. Not that I really listen to podcasts on desktop, but uh, if I do, it's it would be nice to be able to have them all cached and so I don't have to actually stream anything. But um, Overcast has a nice feature where they where it will smartly shorten silences. And so it'll actually keep track of how much silence it's cut out of shows. And I've saved over 90 hours of podcasts in the last a little bit over a year. So for me, that time savings is definitely worth, uh, and it, it's also a premium app. So they're, I'm paying $10 a year, maybe at like $10 American a year for the app. And it's ma- mainly just to support this developer. And because that time savings, like saving 90 hours over a year and a half is well worth my time. <laughs> so it makes sense to, to continue to support that. Yeah. So um, you had a couple of pieces of follow-up here about Google. So um, I'm actually really intrigued to talk about this AMP thing, but uh, feel free to start in whatever order you wish. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like a Google corner. We haven't done one mm-hmm. of these in a while because they've actually been fairly quiet recently. Right. Anyway, uh, since kind of Google Plus fell off the face of the earth, uh, they haven't really been in the news too much. But um, there's a couple of pieces of news that followed up one after another, pretty much, that uh, that first of all, Google... They had released, since their Nexus devices, they released the Google Now Launcher, uh, which is modifies your, on your home screen for Android, you can swipe to the left to get to your Google Now timeline kind of yeah. thing. Like yeah. a, a bunch of cards that are relevant in that moment, uh, pieces of news, weather, traffic, what have you. Mm-hmm. Um and then the actual app drawer also had a specific look. Um, it had a search bar on the top. Uh, the way it was scrolled was kind of unique to this specific launcher versus the OEM stock launchers. And I had it on my Nexus uh, since I got the Nexus 4. And then when I moved to the Note 4, I downloaded the same launcher as well. And... You know, long story short, I ended up having to change back to the TouchWiz launcher for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like now that the Pixel is kind of released and mainstream, they're coming up with a, a re, I don't know if they're renaming or creating a new launcher, but they're, they're launching the Pixel launcher and discontinuing the Google Now launcher. Yeah. Uh, so the Google Now launcher, as I alluded to, is or was available to be downloaded by anyone, anyone who with an Android device, and they could load it onto their phone because one of the benefits of having Android is customizability. And, uh, I mean, there's tons of launchers out there, so it's, this isn't new or anything, but being able to have a Nexus-branded and feel-type launcher, like Rob even said yourself that with the Google Now launch, you can make almost any phone feel like a Nexus device. Yep. Like, just with it, how it looks and the navigation and such, so... Uh, that's why I liked it, um, but it looks like they're taking it off the Play Store and replacing it or 
just only using the pixel launcher on the phones that they released just because the nexus program is basically not around anymore now that google's kind of been making the the pixel device uh but it from my understanding people who already have the google now launcher can keep it uh but it's not going to be supported anymore as far as updates and right security features and and all that kind of stuff so it's it's generally not a good idea to continue using a discontinued product just from a security standpoint i don't know how vulnerable launchers are to that kind of thing but um i'd like it's in my uh experience like java is one of those things that you don't want to keep outdated because it's a target for security breaches um but i mean like it's just unfortunate that the now the google now launch is not going to be available on the play store anymore Mm. Uh, mainly because people generally don't download apks to sideload stuff and i don't even know if launchers i'd imagine launchers can be sideloaded yeah the same way that any app can yeah um but it's just going to be harder to kind of come across and not going to be as popular of a thing to to use on your phone because i thought it it made a phone feel nice because like touchwiz has gotten a lot better over the years but Mm. it used to be really bad um like since using it on my note 4 it's hasn't been horrible um and there's a lot of settings that you can do to tone down the overwhelmingness of the launcher <laughs> sure um but it's it's unfortunate that google's not encouraging i guess oh let me not open source i don't know what the the term would be but just making available the stuff that would tend to normally be exclusive to a device and right. allowing anyone to kind of use it but um yeah ho- hopefully they're not going the way of other companies and keeping their stuff exclusive <laughs> Mike throwing serious subshade at Apple. <laughs> I um, yeah. On when they first announced that the Pixel launcher was going to be a thing, I went and downloaded an APK for it. Like it was a very early beta, I guess, and tried to put it on my Moto X Play, which is now a couple of years old, and it didn't really work. I like it just it was an early beta, so I wasn't really surprised that it didn't work. Um, I just tried again to search for the Pixel Launcher and it doesn't seem to come up for the Moto X Play. So it's just, it's one of those things that Google seems to be unable, or I guess Alphabet Alphabet seem to be unable to let the, they don't want to let the new thing replace the old thing. They want to start up a second thing that is new and leave the old thing to kind of wither and die. And it just seems so bizarre that they keep doing that. I, it doesn't like, does it make sense to you? Cause it, it makes, this is not the only instance we've, we've talked many times about their, their problems with messaging platforms and how they can only seem to let them die. They mm-hmm. can't ever just kind of let them flourish and Hangouts seemed like it had a ton of potential. I, I was reading a, an article I wrote um, on my own site uh, about a year and a half ago called communication is broken. And in it, I was talking about how Hangouts is like my second favorite thing to use for messaging after Slack. And I just think about it today and I'm like, I would never, ever, ever, ever recommend anyone use Hangouts now. And at the time, in that article, at the very end, I mentioned Facebook Messenger and how it's pretty good. It's fine, but it's not. It's, it's, no, it's more than fine. It's way, it's way worse objectively. At, and this is at the time than Hangouts or yeah, than Hangouts was. But now they have, my opinion is completely flipped and Messenger is amazing. Messenger is a couple of tweaks um, away from Slack as being possibly my all-time favorite and might 
even already be. Yeah. But yeah, it, it I can't I don't understand Google's messaging. I don't know what their goals are with it, but it seems like they're fundamentally broken in some way. Yeah. I've said it before and I th- I think it still holds true that unless you're keeping in mind where your product is going at the development stage, mm-hmm. it's like multiples hard multiples <laughs> multiple times harder? Multiple times harder, I guess to fix slash upgrade an existing product than to just start from scratch. Yeah. Um, So I'm sure that plays a big part. And it's like, well, if you're, unless your user base is large enough to justify putting in that time and effort to upgrade the existing product, Mm -hmm. it's probably not worth it. Especially when Google has the power to make these new apps uh, default, installed apps on devices going yeah. forward so they're not relying on people discovering the app and having to sign up for it whatever it's like it's already going to be on their device anyway so they're they're not really losing anything mm-hmm. from that end right so yeah. it's they're, yeah but it's, it's unfortunate for those who are dedicated users of a service and it just gets left behind mm-hmm. the, the problem that i have is that they I know that there are engineering teams at Google that are capable of doing this right because I've seen them do it right before. And the example, the glowing example, and I don't know that there are many others, but the glowing example I have is Gmail. Mm. They they worked on Gmail for a number of years and things started to get a little stale and email started to kind of change and they started working, they stopped kind of working really hard on Gmail and they introduced Inbox. And Inbox runs the exact same Gmail service with extra stuff on top. And you can still use Gmail. It still does get regular updates. They're just not nothing major. And Inbox gets better and better and better and better and better. And when I go back to the old Gmail interface for any reason, there are a couple of reasons that I do that, mostly to get to stuff like contacts. Um, but it <laughs> it's amazing to me how hard it is to go back to regular gmail when i'm used to seeing my email inbox as kind of a almost like a task list and i don't know if you are you still using inbox or it i can't i could never go back to regular email like my email at work using outlook frustrates me now because it, it while it is a little bit more kind of task list like than gmail is originally it just it's so old fashioned the the concept of doing email within the Gmail paradigm. And I I just Mm. love inbox. The only thing, like I don't use inbox for the task management stuff. The thing I like about inbox is it's uh, integration with Google now, I guess. I don't know what they're calling it. Assistant is what they're calling it now, I guess. Yeah. How it, uh, it kind of like reads your emails, picks out information that's important, schedules stuff for you Mm -hmm. just automatically when your inbox is out, which I really like. Right. And, uh, I also like the snoozing and mm. reminders aspect that are based on on the emails that you get. And Outlook at work when I use it, like it has flagging, which is essentially pinning, and mm-hmm. then you can set reminders like yeah. to an email. So mm-hmm. like at whatever time it says, hey, this email you want to be reminded about. And I've been using that a lot lately as well right. because they'll say, oh, you know, rep- let, let me know in two weeks what you think about this or whatever. And so right. I'll just set a reminder for two weeks from that date and I just forget about it until then. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I had to email that guy. So yeah. I've, I've liked using that with Outlook and Inbox has similar kind of features where, where it comes. The reminders 
or the uh the snoozing is more like it marks it or treats it as if it just came in at that right. time yeah, but it's it still for for me it still works the same way like i see it coming it's like oh yeah i was supposed to like take care of that yeah. so um that that's what i really liked using inbox for yeah i don't know if i'd say i couldn't go back to gmail but i definitely appreciate yeah <laughs> i definitely appreciate the features that inbox brings and i i wouldn't want to see those go away now that i have them yeah if i it, as an analogy if i had to I want to make the analogy and it's probably not, it's like maybe 90% as strong a feeling. If I had to go back to using Gmail instead of inbox, it would be like another reader going away. Almost. It's probably on the same scale where I just, I would miss the features that it has that, that much. And I don't necessarily use all the task features. I actually should use them a little more, but I mean, in terms of having, first of all, the grouping of emails into Mm -hmm. folders in the inbox is really, 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 really nice. And I just like having like I'll I'll have 10 emails or 15 emails in my inbox and I know that those are all things that I haven't yet dealt with or that I want to deal with in some way. I actually should start using the snoozing feature more because for the most part, I don't necessarily want to have something constantly in my inbox, Mm -hmm. but I want to be reminded of it. Like something there, I have emails in here from like January. I have an email here from Netflix offering me another free trial. If I don't snooze that, I'll just keep, it'll clutter up my inbox basically. But what I really should do is snooze any email that I want to keep, I want to see again, but I don't need to see 24 yeah. seven. And it, it kind of reminds me of what subscription services are doing now, which is, and it, this is a weird analogy to make, but I promise it fits pretty well. Um, that subscription services will allow you to pause at any time, but they'll, instead of literally saying pause, it will just push your subscription back X defined period of time. So like the Soylent Soylent subscription, you can set up recurring every month, they'll deliver it to you, but you can also set a delay. And that's basically, you're basically snoozing your delivery. And so in that way, it's, you're not losing anything because you're still going to be reminded of it at some point in the future. Like Mm -hmm. you're still going to, so Soylent offers a 5% discount if you get a subscription. And the reason is, if you take no action on the subscription or the snoozed email or whatever, if you take no action on it, it will show up again. Mm-hmm. So Soylent will make money unless you act to right. continue delaying the subscription. And in the same way, I can snooze an email. I can, If I have an email here from October 2016, like I do, I should snooze that email for a month mm-hmm. because it's just sitting there in my inbox right now cluttering it up. And I do want to see it again, but I don't need to see it all the time. And so I do use it for some things, but I should use it more. Yeah. The other thing I use it for is like you alluded to the bundling of Mm. the emails. And I, I'm subscribed to a lot of mailing lists. Like, yeah. Like when you order something online, you're basically always still subscribing to a mailing list. And I actually don't mind that because I do like to know what stuff is going on sale. If I see something, it's like, oh, I've been meaning to buy that or, yeah. oh, it's a good, I've been thinking about buying that. It's a good time to get it now that's on sale, whatever. But I don't like being bombarded with these emails like all day. Yeah. And, but I still want to see them. So I don't want to turn off the notifications for mm-hmm. them. So they have a feature where when you group emails and you can set up custom groups as well, they mm-hmm. don't have to be the default ones. You can set up for those emails to only be notified once a day, Yeah. which I think it was based on your recommendation. Um, I yeah. started doing that. So now it comes in once at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. or 7 a.m., one of those. 
And it says, oh, eight new emails and promos. Yeah. And I just go and go check, 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 check. Okay, done. And all right, and I'll open the ones I want to see and just mark the rest as done. And then that's it. And I don't see them again until the next day. Yeah. So, and especially now that I have a, uh, like a Gear S2 watch, I don't want that thing going off all day with these annoying <laughs> right. emails. Because like, yeah. again, they'll come in. I still want to see them, but I want to also be notified of them. Yeah. So but I don't want them being notified throughout the day. So that's been a good solution for me. And again, that's an, that's an inbox feature. I don't know if Gmail, yeah, Gmail also has that feature, no. but like they have bundling and tagging and that kind of stuff. Like yeah. it's not even bundling, but it's tagging and labels, but it's not the same as what inbox does. So right. I've, I've liked that feature for sure. Yeah. It's uh yeah, the, the bundling and having things show up once a day is really great. Having not, I, I believe you can set it up so you don't actually get notified about things from specific if they go to a specific bundle you don't get a notification about it yeah but it does show up in your inbox as yep. well and i i make generous use of that because there are a lot of things where i want to see it i want it to show up in my inbox because it is kind of a task list but i don't need to know about an email from twitter instantly like someone saying that because i have like 12 twitter accounts now i i want to see an email about something that's happened on twitter and i don't want to check through all my 12 emails or my 12 twitter accounts but um, I don't need to be notified about it for sure that someone liked or retweeted something. I just, I would be interested in seeing it, but yeah, it's not urgent. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's, you know, it's, I guess a nice note to end on because it does sound mm -hmm. like Google is doing some good stuff too, but there's also some stuff that they're, uh, phasing yeah. out and, and changing. So yeah. I mean, I mean like, we'll see how it plays out and maybe it's, it's fine. Maybe pixel will pixel launcher will eventually be made for to work on other phones, but yeah. at this point it's not looking good. But I think the other OEMs are, are realizing that people don't want just like a, whatever it is that they have on their launcher. They want a bit more clean, kind of yeah. more Google-like experience. So yeah, that's promising as well. Um, another thing that Google's trying to do, uh, an initiative, I guess, is to what they call the AMP project, the Accelerated Mobile Pages. Mm. And it's similar to the Facebook um Instant stories. Instant stories. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's uh, basically, for those that don't know, the instant stories is a very quickly loading. I, I'd say, I think it's preloaded. Prefetched, yeah. Yeah, prefetched. Like it's cached and just set up, ready to go. When you just tap on it, you just have to load or, or refresh a page or anything. And uh, it's a very bloggy type feel. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you load, it's like the with the serifs and a full banner photo. And I mean, it's nice looking, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Uh, we've talked before how that kind of could be deceptive for otherwise incredible, non-credible, <laughs> yes. not incredible, non-credible <laughs> looking sources. The original meaning of incredible. <laughs> right. not, not incredible, but incredible. <laughs> uh, but G Google's realized that this is actually possibly a beneficial thing for them to do as well, to have yeah. quick loading pages that people go to frequently. And uh, we talked before how the URLs for these pages that they're that they're making are very confusing and annoying. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes about what they look like, or you can just look it up yourself. But right, it's uh something like www.google.com/amp/whatever the actual URL is. Yeah, something yeah. like that, which is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> I just, I don't I don't know whose idea that was to even include that part, but that's what it is right now. Yeah. Um, well, by by the the way the web works, you kind of have to do that because it is saved to Google servers. Like unless you have the 
the developers of a website set up a specific subsection of the site that would have these accelerated pages, you kind of have to do it that way. Right. But yeah, so the changes that they're they're doing are are good, but it is kind of necessary to have that URL originally show up. Yeah. Like in in the Facebook app, it opens within the app with these instant stories and then you can go a step further and open in the browser. Right. And you can share the story straight from the Facebook app, either with the URL, like it will it'll copy the URL to the clipboard like most apps will, or you can share it to your timeline or, or to a page or, or whatever. Right. But I guess because they're keeping it within their app, they're not having to even deal with this additional URL that they have to designate. Whereas with Google, like unless you're in Google Plus, which no one is anymore... <laughs> Oh, we're we're the show are, but we're, we're we're turning into the show that says Google Plus is dead, which we complained about so often two years ago. Well, but people still post actually... there, but it's <laughs> it's not living up to the promise. I feel like we can say that because we were actually a part of Google Plus at one point, and yeah. using it. But anyway, um, so yeah, unless you're opening a link in Google Plus, where again Google can handle the URL internally within the app and not have to have this confusing prefix. You're opening it within Google search and then you're seeing this google.com slash blah, 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 load up. And it's like, what the heck is this? So when you're trying to share a link or just looking up at the URL bar to see where you are, it can be very confusing. So they're trying to modify the way in which they're making these URLs appear or maybe just making them just less ridiculous. Yeah. Um, they actually don't have a, uh, oh, that's okay. So they're not actually going to change the way the URL shows up, but they're going to have, I guess, kind of like a drop down. It's, it's thing. kind of a header type thing. I've seen it on a, yeah. I've seen it a few times now. Yeah, that just shows the original URL. Yeah. So in the URL bar of the browser, it's still going to have the google.com slash etc. Mm-hmm. But then as a header within that page in the app, it will have like a little kind of URL header that says where it is you're you're actually going to or where you're sharing from. Which I guess is the next best thing. For me, to... that is the solution. Yeah, that's and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so that's that's good. I, at least Google realizes that it's kind of really confusing when mm-hmm. you go to a page and it says Google.com. It's like, I'm not on Google. Yeah, well, even I, I know I've encountered coming from a social network, for instance, and being or going from a Google search result, going to an accelerated mobile page. And I think, oh, I want to share this story. I want to put it somewhere you can't share that AMP link the same way you can with the original link. And so having an, the ability to either copy or share the original link on the website is is a great thing. Like that that totally, for, for me, the problem is now gone because I can just go and directly go to the real story if I want to share the real link. Yeah. It, it almost seems like though that this link header is going to be only for like Google Apps unless someone builds it into their app as well. Like, is it going to be an API that hmm. people use? I don't... Th- I haven't... Again, I use Chrome, so I don't actually know. Um, yeah, but, Chrome would obviously handle it fine. Yeah. But I'm, well, I'm thinking, like, yeah, Safari, Chrome, right? So, yeah. yeah. Like, would Safari have that same header? I imagine not, unless they, again, used some sort of... It does. Plug-in Safari has it? that header, too. Um, where I, yeah, I can copy the link. Oh, so okay. question. They have that right now. Up. Yep. Oh, nice. In Safari, I have the little extra header says amp.theguardian.com and I can swipe through, but there's a button to get more info about the site or to get copy the actual link to this article. Mm. Nice. Yeah. So is this feature live now? Yep. Yeah. It's been live oh. for, it's been live for a little while. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, because it says... Oh, okay, so yeah. So this article from Android Police, they say the link anchor button will start rolling out to search results today, but the share button integration doesn't have an ETA. So maybe... Right. The, is that the share button or there's is that a, a separate thing? There's a button to copy a link mm-hmm. where you can copy the original link, but I didn't see any share functionality. So that's probably okay. what they're talking about, being okay. new or being right. incoming. Sure. But yeah, cool. I in terms of accelerated mobile pages this makes it much more feasible for me at the time when i first saw this roll out and realized that this is really hard to share things now like the the whole point of the web is to be able to share original links to stuff not just pre-cached pre-formatted stuff and uh especially because on a mobile device you get basically an amp story doesn't have any of the clutter that a normal web page would have so it doesn't have links to other articles it doesn't have anything like that and in some cases, you want to share the actual version of the story. The, mm-hmm. the Google search results giving you a cached version that's just the story with a little bit of kind of website Chrome specified is fine, but that's not really the point of the web. The point of the web is links to other stuff and disenables right. that. I don't know if Google will have a monetization system set up. Like I think Facebook, when you designate an article or a link as being allowed Yep. to be instant articled. I'm not sure if Facebook shares some of the click rate revenue with you or like because you're like you alluded to, you're sacrificing the pop-up ads and the banner ads and whatever mm-hmm. that come with that click for the yep. original source. So I don't know if Facebook is compensating the link, the, like the site authors mm-hmm. to some of the revenue by allowing so. them to use the instant articles. Maybe it's like a quid pro quo kind of thing. I think that's more likely. I know that for for Facebook specifically, one of the things they tend to do is link up, like communications-wise, talk to big publishers and actually offer them money up front to adopt these things, like things like doing more Facebook Live video, things like using instant articles. It was very, very, very exclusive. Originally, it was just three or four Mm, different content providers. And they've kind of widened it now, I think. But those first few, it was like, we're going to, we'll give you a few million dollars to mm. adopt this. And then we'll exclusively give you these preloaded right. things. Like, I you know one of the first stories I read that was instant article was uh, from National Geographic. And it had a bunch of really nice media. And you could, like, there was galleries you could go through of really nice macro nature photography. And now I just think it's become a lot more popular and, or it's become a lot more popular among publishers. And so you're seeing less kind of things going out of their way to give you this immersive experience and taking advantage of all the advanced features that instant articles has. But um, at the time it was like, we'll give you a bunch of money to, to use, to mm-hmm. set this up. I know they did some significant AB testing as well with the instant articles and click rates for them. Like I know when I scroll and I see that an article's in an instant article, I want to say that subconsciously I'm more okay clicking on it because I know I'm not going to be taken out of the app hmm. to like, like it's, it's not enough to say that it's definitive, but I right. feel like there've been times where I'm like, Oh, it's this article and then I'll click on it. Like I at least notice it mm-hmm. and it's not a negative association right. to it. Yeah. Like, I, I, for a while there, I felt very strongly with with amp specifically that if i saw that lightning bolt i would specifically not click on it because i was like i want to go to an actual version of the story okay um but i feel less bad about it now knowing that Mm. things have changed and with i definitely notice i don't think most users notice on instant articles or on amp like seeing that little lightning bolt 
but um, I definitely like the the way that looks and how like how quickly it loads is obviously a nice thing. Another kind of service that goes along with this that you probably haven't had ex- actually you definitely haven't had exposure to is Apple News. They similarly will kind of prefetch and pre-render articles, and they present them to you in a really nice way. I've I've just started. I just turned on Apple News because you have to set your region to the states. I think the states UK and Australia are the ones that have it. So I set my region to the US again recently to try it out again, and I'm finding that I really like the way it's styled. It, it lets publishers kind of take. It really makes it feel more like a magazine than just reading the web. Reading the web feels very very cluttered these days. And reading an Apple News article or AMP or whatever really feels a lot more like reading an article in print, especially yeah. in the way that you can have specific layouts and kind of nice headers. And you're not worrying about having to deal with all the details of a website existing. You're just dealing with the story. Yeah. They talked about this on Upgrade last week, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, about Apple News and how it's very RSS-y type feel. And, in some ways. And that that's how I felt reading RSS back when I read rss was it felt more magazine like like i could open it up look at my latest articles and just flip through them and skip the ones i didn't want to read and read the ones i did which i like that experience it was overwhelming because i was subscribed (laughs) to so much and i'm like i'm never going to get through all this so it's just a habit of marking them all as red yeah which is why i stopped it's like i'll i'll let my social media bubble filter my (laughs) (laughs) my news which seems to have worked out so far yeah it um I I do like I really like the way that Apple News is set up now. It's gone undergone some changes since the last time I had seen it. And so like it'll start off with a header of top stories and then it'll give you a list of trending stories, tell you more for you, and then it'll kind of go into in a, in the way that I think Feedly kind of can have you can have your homepage of Feedly set up to be mm-hmm. not necessarily a reverse chronological list of the stories you haven't read yet, but it's more curated and so it'll give you like then it'll go, here's the top stories from this morning. Here's mm. um, specific things that we think you might want to read. Here's specific things. Like here's five things from Newsweek. Here's, right. and in the way, in the way that it actually is very kind of productive for me to read in that way. Yeah. It, it's, it's tailored to your specific news taste. And I'm, I'm sure that like if, if one of my friends went and read my top stories they'd be like oh god this is what you read all day because it's like (laughs) there's a ton of politics in there but in that same way like if you if someone that didn't have my music tastes went into apple music and looked all these things that it's recommending for me they'd be like oh this is this is what you listen to it's like yes i actually really like the way that it's tailored for me it it really does and not necessarily in a filter bubbly kind of way it it shows me what i want because it, it it could it certainly could but it lets you pick the sources that you want to see. It lets you pick topics you want to see and lets you pick specific sources you want to see. So what I want to see, and I, I, I tweeted about this last night, I want people to start using the term real news to describe just things that are actual news. Because saying that, refuting the, a call that say CNN is fake news by saying CNN is not fake news is just, that's the most abhorrent thing I've ever heard. Having to kind of deny it like that, I would much rather hear CNN is real news. The, like if if CNN made their slogan, we are real news, I would love that. It it doesn't counter the idea that they're fake because they're they're objectively not. And it it's a much more powerful statement. And so I'm picking real news sources, but 
I also, I fully have the option to, I guess what I want to say is I, I, it gives me the power in that I can say, I want to read these sources, but Apple news won't learn from that, that it should exclude all other news sources. It will learn from that, that I want to read stuff about these things. And it really seems like, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it doesn't seem like it will lead to a filter bubble as much as it will lead to a tailored list of things that I might find interesting. And so I'm probably never going to see a story from Breitbart on there, but is that because Breitbart has different political views than me? Or is that because Breitbart is a much lower quality website? And I, th- I think you're putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak. <laughs> uh, like you're, you're just kind of wording it in a different way. Like I think for you as a person, you're less likely to be filter bubbled mm-hmm. because you generally are rational and critically minded where you want to know both sides before yeah. making judgments. But I think when apps and Facebook is a perfect example of this, when they start choosing what you should see, if someone isn't as inclined to do that, it's a very dangerous thing. Right. That that is true. That is really, really true. Um I, I will say that using like reading Twitter is basically just a self affirming vicious cycle. And for me, at least in the last few days since I turned on Apple News again and I've actually started looking at it, I have seen a few stories where I've clicked on it and I've thought to myself, huh, this is this is not something that I would see on Twitter. And it's not just necessarily confirming my views, but it's giving me new information and making me think about it in a way that I wouldn't necessarily. One of the things that has happened with with filter bubbles and with the the kind of vicious cyclization that Twitter becomes if you don't have opposing viewpoints is that you start to see that just because news comes from um, like journalistic sources that have integrity doesn't mean that sources you might disagree with are always wrong and doesn't mean that mm-hmm. sources you would normally agree with are always right. Yep. And I see, I, I now see and actively am aware of sensationalist stories from like CNN. I'm not saying like a sensationalist story isn't the same thing as fake news. Fake news is a specific thing. Like the reason that Pizzagate ever became a thing is entirely fake news. Like it was all just this absolutely made up stuff to get people to click on it and to get people outraged politically wasn't pizzagate the thing with like the rat who dragged the pizza to it no <laughs> you Hole? if you haven't heard about pizzagate oh my god that the the rat thing was pizza rat oh <laughs> pizzagate was the idea that john podesta the head of the dnc at one point or something he was in the democratic national Con- uh, convention uh and hillary were part of an underground child sex ring i believe in the basement of a pizza place in Washington. Mm. Yeah. It, uh, it was just completely made up and mm. there's this whole thing about it in right-wing media. And that's a very different thing from what, what the Trump administration is now talking about being fake news when they talk about his inauguration crowds. And when they talk about some reporter saying, um, that he thinks the bust of Martin Luther King Jr. was removed from the Oval Office because he looked and he didn't see it. When he when he was corrected, he immediately came out and said, oh, you're right, it's there, my mistake, I'm sorry, and retracted the story. 
Whereas nobody has ever retracted, nobody in right-wing media has ever retracted the Pizzagate story. It's just been left to fester on the Mm -hmm. worst parts of the internet and the worst parts of people in the States. And that's a huge difference between real journalism that has integrity and that actually kind of seeks confirmation. So this, this journalist that published this Martin Luther King thing, he acted too quickly. He didn't check the work and he published. So that, but that was one example and it was very quickly corrected. That's Mm -hmm. not the same thing as completely fictionalizing a story and then hammering on it and saying, no, there's definitely, well, voter fraud's another instance where they're like, oh yeah, we have evidence. What's the evidence? Oh, well, I can't tell you that yet. (laughs) It's like, uh, you just don't have evidence. Yeah. And yeah. Related to retracting a story or updating it, Mm -hmm. does AMP and instant articles recache articles on a regular basis? I don't know what the basis is, but almost certainly yes. Because I'd imagine that's important for like, you know, if they update a story or whatever that Mm -hmm. the instant article gets updated accordingly. Like, so. One of the things I would make a correlation and I'm sure it's not exactly the same. Um, We can maybe look this up as as follow up for next week, but I will make an analogy to um, the tags that you can get on when you publish a story on Facebook, it comes with text, uh, like a headline, a description, a photo, the source, all this information, which is pulled from a website. When you, when you go to share a page, if it hasn't recently been shared, it will go to the website, scrape these, this information from the website and then put that information in. And and as someone who's just built a website again, um, you actually get to set what that information is. And so you have the ability, there's a, there's a website on, uh, on Facebook, the specific developer portal called developers.facebook.com. There's a page on there that lets you see what a page scrape will see. So you can go and see what the metadata on a page will actually show and what the link will look like when you share it on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so there's two buttons here. There's a, there's a page and people are curious. I'll actually, I can put the link in notes because it's, it's pretty interesting if you're interested in web design at all and interested in kind of learning more about the web, but there's, so there's a spot for you to put in a URL. There's a button called show existing scrape information. So, So it'll show you what Facebook sees. And then there's a button to fetch new scrape information. So if you, if I've published a story with a weird headline and I want to change the headline, I can go and actually manually force a refresh of the story. Mm-hmm. And so typically that's what's done is that when a publisher publishes a story like that, there'll be a portal like this where they can basically get a new cache of the story generated. Right. I've seen that on Facebook a lot, especially with typos and headlines. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, I can't believe they put the typo in the headline. And then you go to the actual story and it's been corrected. Yeah. But the actual Facebook stub or whatever hasn't been updated so i don't know if that's a feature of the instant articles that you're talking about or if that's any link right that you post another thing another aspect of this um these things are called open graph tags the things that it scrapes Hmm. and another thing about the open graph is that when you publish a story on facebook if you yourself personally publish it you can go to the story and i think it works on mobile as well as desktop but you can go to the story and you can actually refresh scrape information from the story itself and once you've done that anything that where that link is shared will have the new updated Mm. headline but if someone else has shared the story since as as a separate story Mm. they will still have the old information unless they also do a manual refresh and so it it's not a fix all problem but it does 
it does give publishers the ability to fix a headline in the share thing. It's just, I think most people don't necessarily, aren't necessarily aware of that being a thing or news teams are so big that there is one person who would fix those things, but that mm-hmm. never gets communicated. And the only thing that they would do is maybe fix something that has a broken link mm-hmm. or something that specifically right. doesn't work about the site they're sending you to that in that instance, they might work to refresh that information, but otherwise it just kind of gets left. Right. So when you're referring to publishing an article, you're talking about the instant article still, right? Like if I post a link to Facebook, I can't go and refresh scrape information on that post. Can I? If you post a story, you can refresh, you can get, you can post or publish like, cause you're using two different, you're using publish. And to me, that means filling out all the form data for the instant article, not just posting a link. When you publish a story as a publisher, you set the metadata however you want. On your own website, yeah. Right, right. right. And I'm not exactly, because I'm not I'm not a part of AMP, mm-hmm. but when you, so when you, as a publisher, publish a story, you publish it to your site, you publish yeah. it to AMP, you publish it to Instant Articles, whatever combination of things you have set up. And when I'm talking about a specific person sharing a story, when I, that's what I'm saying. If you, if you publish a, a shared story on Facebook, that's the second step. And at that point, mm-hmm. you can refresh the scrape information. And it gets pushed to anyone who's shared that story from your own Facebook page that originally published the instant article. Right. So right. the difference being it it will update if you know you how you have the kind of almost like a quoted Facebook share. Yeah. Um, that will update. So yeah. if anyone has shared, if, so if, if say Future Chat publishes a story on mm-hmm. Facebook and then you share my share, yeah. you get that kind of nested sharing. Yeah. That will update if you if I if Future Chat refreshes the share information, that story will get updated. But mm-hmm. if you hit share the story as yourself, and you ended up with a non quoted share, that would not show up. Right, that would not refresh. I found that they've got better with defaulting to the quoted share. Yeah, like I found if I, if someone shared a link and I shared that as a quoted share, or if I just shared it and it said like write post, right? Because mm-hmm. I want to yep. add my own comment to it. Yep. It would share it as just a reposted link, not yep. as a quote of the original post. Agreed. But now I've noticed that even if I write something as an additional comment, mm-hmm. it keeps the original content as well. Yeah. Which is nice because yeah. that's part of, often I'll comment on the original comment, but then I'll post <laughs> it and be like, where did the original comment go? Yeah, this yeah. makes no sense now. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i've I've noticed with twitter i've noticed the same thing that they will more get you to try to add a comment to something in a quoted tweet kind of way one thing that i wish that you had the option to more easily do is to not only um quote a tweet but quote a tweet and reply to the tweet like add your own comment in the thread underneath so that mm-hmm. other people can see what you've commented, but still have that quoted tweet yeah. in the story when you're sending it to your timeline. Yeah. And you can do that, but it's really it's really messy to do because you have to copy yeah. the link and then hit reply <laughs> and then paste the link and then type a comment above it. It's much easier to quote a tweet. But I like I like the idea of it both being a reply to the tweet and a quote of the tweet because right. then you get to give context and you get to share it on your own um, timeline without having yeah. to do the dot notation. Um, right. yeah, it, I wish that was the way it worked and I wish it was a little better that way, but it's, it, when I've wanted to do it, I've just gone and done it and it's fine. I, that's similar to how forums work mm-hmm. when you're quoting a reply and, uh, like Reddit 
does the nesting thing. So it, it works out from there. But yeah, with something like Twitter, you can easily get lost in a reply unless yeah. you click on the reply to see what's above it. But it'd be nice, like you said, to have the context right there in the reply so that you don't have to do all that back and forth clicking on the threads yeah. to see the chain of replies. Yep. But one thing actually, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly and go to an after show, but um, I read an article shortly after um, Trump's inauguration about how the the space directly below what any one of Donald Trump's tweets is now super, super valuable real estate. Like anything you post directly right after he's tweeted, anything mm-hmm. you post as a reply becomes seen by thousands or tens of thousands of people instantly. And so this article was saying to publishers and to to journalists, the first few seconds after he tweets, if you can get your message in there, it is extremely valuable. And so because this was published on quote unquote left-wing media outlets, I don't think right-wing people, his supporters are really as aware of this as other as kind of the journalistic side of things, the actual mm-hmm. not the enemy of America people are um, <laughs> are aware of it. But so now when I go and look at his tweets, the first things you see are threads with basically left wing people <laughs> pointing out the inaccuracies of these things just because they got there first. And yep. so it does end up with the threaded tweets thing. The way it now works is it will actually thread um, it will actually stick threads of replies underneath tweets. So you'll see not mm-hmm. only their fir- the first person you replied, but then whatever's underneath that as well. And it's actually quite fascinating to see now most of his tweets, when you click on them, you don't see like Pepe the Frog uh, avatars tweeting, make America great again. You see journalists or respected people commenting and saying like, this is horrible and this is why. And you yeah. just see threads of comments, like the first few threads are usually that kind of thing where it's actually a productive discussion, it seems like, going yeah. back and forth. And it's very interesting to see. Yeah, I like seeing the, I guess I'm, I'm kind of incriminating myself saying that I'm, I've clicked on Trump's tweets, but. <laughs> you have, um, to, I mean, you have to. You, you, you have, have to, to you do. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, but yeah, I, I love seeing all the blue check marks being like, you know. <laughs> refuting what he's saying yeah, yeah and then you'll have the pepe people come in and be like oh you libtard whatever yeah and then you just have other blue check marks come and be like go home or whatever yeah. like just like yeah. they're all just it's yeah it's it's weird because you yeah you'd expect more support for the tweet mm-hmm. being shown but it's very largely people saying like you know you're a very toxic person yeah. and anyone who does support trump is getting kind of i don't want to say ganged up on because it's not in a malicious way. Right. But it, it's, it, it really isn't. No, That's, like yeah. it, there is, but for the most part, it's not mm. like there's obviously people who, who take that approach, but for the most part, it's just people just saying, you know, these are the facts, like mm-hmm. stop tweeting nonsense. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like I know when we are doing the hashtag Taylor at 1989, <laughs> um, it uh, like I had a lot of the Taylor Swift, accounts on notifications right so that when they post it i post <laughs> the thing right away yeah and the, i actually got quite a few like quite a bit of exposure from that yeah like because it was usually one of the top you know five replies because other people have them on notifications they'll say oh mommy or whatever like yeah queen like right because they try to be first as well because they see the value right. in, in being right at the top but yeah yeah if you can get in there you get quite a bit of exposure yeah. I, I think i've got quite a few of the tweets like deleted <laughs> because i kept like i guess spamming these reply these tweets with uh the 
the attempted viral marketing. Right. Yeah, that's funny. But because it was so close to the top, it got noticed and then and then right. deleted. But <clears throat> so that you're saying they are reported? I don't know if they're reported, but they're deleted. I don't know how they. I don't know how that would work then. Yeah. It's oh weird. no, I didn't get deleted. I got blocked by the accounts. Oh, so it's, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's that. Yeah. Because I was <laughs> gonna say I was like, wait, you can't delete tweets. But yeah, I know it's. I'd reply, but then I'd get blocked by the account, so I couldn't. Right. Couldn't follow them anymore. <laughs> so that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in that case, for this week, I think we've done all the good we can and uh, hopefully not too much of the bad. Um, I will say thank you for listening to this week's episode of Future Chat. You can head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat. I officially made the change that I was talking about doing last week in the episode of Desktop. So unwindmedia.com slash future dash chat will send you to, uh, to see past episodes of the show and a little bit more. See you next week. Ciao. All right, so I can't believe we managed to go an entire hour without talking about Gen Two. It's yeah. out. I was I was impressed. We we basically didn't get out a follow up at that point. Yeah, no, we, we did a little bit, but not really. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's been an interesting week. I I I for one have been. It's been interesting. What two days? Three days? Well, there's a bit of follow up to it since the yeah. Valentine's event. Yeah, and pre Valentine's event. It uh. Like I, I for one am, am pleased with this current state of the game. Yeah. Like obviously, like there's always room for improvement, and a lot of the things that needed improvement still need improvement. But like I was telling you guys, I was at uh, Princess Island Park mm-hmm. on Friday, Friday Thursday, or Thursday and Friday, I think. And like there were, it was like last year all over again. Like, like not in the summer, not over flooded because like it's still winter wet and kind of wet spring <laughs> yeah late winter but like there were people like groups of people huddled around pokestops with their phones out all catching the same huh. pokemon right right so like it was cool like i was i was encouraged by the amount of engagement and like yeah there, there were people out there same same state i'm in where they're not even familiar with any of the gen 2 but they're yeah. out there and i'm like oh there's a dawn fan over here it's like oh is that this kind of looking one i'm like oh no it's the elephant looking one and they're like right. oh yeah i see that one too like <laughs> so yeah it was it was really cool to see people engaged with the game again yeah. um well what have your initial thoughts been on it well, I <clears throat> so the one person that I play with here uh, at work, a coworker, specifically doesn't like the Gen Two or later. And I'm not saying that I specifically do like them, but I don't specific like I'm still going to keep playing. But uh, she needs one more. She needs a muck, and she's like ten candy away from it. So she's like walking it, but she doesn't want to catch any of the Gen Two ones. So she's like hmm. cherry picking, and. It, so we, we had a long discussion about this and it was basically that she had nostalgia for Gen 1 because she watched the TV show, but then grew out of it in between the first and second generation. And so she specifically thinks the later, and we talked about at length about how this is kind of silly for her to think that way, but she, she actively doesn't like, she thinks the later ones are just cash grabs and stupid. And I'm like, they're all, the first one is also that. So, <laughs> right. um, but so there's that kind of element of childhood wonder kicking in that has since grown out but i i feel exactly the same way about all the generations and their cash grabs and their toys for kids and they're like cutesy and all that and i just think okay it's they're, fun. they're they're toys they're right. not toys for kids like they sure. are but they're yeah, not that's fair yeah and so i actively like the collection aspect and trying to get them all so to speak 
And so for me, it's just been really fun seeing new ones show up that you haven't, not, not the ones you haven't seen before. Like I haven't caught a Wabafet, but I have seen one nearby and it's, I haven't, I didn't catch it because I was at work, mm-hmm. but it's cool seeing shadows again. It's cool yeah. seeing things you haven't collected yet. Yeah. I didn't know any of the shadows from Gen 2. Like, you I think any, if, like not even Wabafet? That one, to I me, know if, like, I don't know. I maybe Wabafet if I had seen it, but mm-hmm. I don't think it would initially click in. It's like, oh, that's Wabafet. The same way that I know the Gen 1 ones. Right. Like, if I saw Togepi, I'd probably recognize that just because it's Togepi. Like, I noticed Chikorita show up because it's pretty characteristic, like Leaf on the Head. Um, maybe. Same with Cyndaquil, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, on Tuesday, did it drop Tuesday or Wednesday? It was Thursday. Was it Thursday? Thursday? Night. Okay. Yeah. So, I, the morning after it dropped, I saw a shadow that I thought was a Tyranitar because I had right. seen Tyranitar pictures posted on Reddit that morning. Okay. So I, I kind of knew what the shadow was supposed to look like. So I like saw this kind of like large dome shaped looking one. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, it's a Tyranitar. So I like ran out <laughs> and it was like that stupid like pig evolution. Which like the, seems pretty much like a Lapras now. No. Well, much. typing Ice wise, moves. like yeah, power, I- power wise, it's like a Parasect. Like it's, I think it's the like the equivalent of a parasect strength so? wise. Well, just like CP wise, mine's not even that strong in seventeen hundred. And right, it, parasects can get that high. Yeah, but I mean, Lapras is now like twenty one, twenty two hundred. What are we talking about? The same one, like the Sinu swine, Piloswine. Yeah, Piloswine. Yeah. What what CP is yours and what? Mine's seventeen hundred CP with candy. What candy cost? Uh, right now it's four. Or sorry, so Stardust. 5,000? Oh, yeah. That's a high-level one. I know. Right. I know, but that's what I'm saying. So if you catch, like, a 2,500, like a level 20-ish one, it's going to be around 1,200, yeah. which is kind of what Parasect is-ish. Anyway, point is is that My it Parasect wasn't... Parasect is pretty strong, and it's 1,381. Yeah. Point is is that it's not a super rare Pokemon. Like No, it's the, not at all. The pre-evolution is, like, Pidgeys. Everywhere, yeah. Everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Uh so I was I was kind of like oh cool and then I saw like how common the rest of them were I'm like oh well, that wasn't worth running yeah. for. Uh, well, that, that's the thing with the early game for me. Same as with Gen One, is that you don't know how common they're going to be, so you almost have to go and catch. Like you don't want to like you don't want to go in the first couple days and be like oh that's a shadow, but who cares? And then find out a couple months down the road that you've never you've still never seen one. You have to kind of go and chase right. every shadow. In hindsight, maybe when, but when Gen One came out, like when the game was released, I wouldn't say I ran after any except for like the second and third evolutions of anything, mm-hmm. and then like the actual like rare ones. Yeah, but you know, Pidgeys, Raditas, Sparrows, like all those, like I didn't run after. Like I'd mm-hmm. catch them, obviously, but I wouldn't run the, after them. The game is different now, though, than it was in the first week. And you might did you play with the old tracker at all? The old tracker. Like the three steps. How do you where play you, with that? Oh, like trying to track it down? Where you actually didn't know where it was. With the now new tracker. Or, or before? At the very, in July, like early July, the oh, first yeah. few days. Oh, yeah, of course. Because um, I don't think Nick did. Uh, he When did. it came out in Canada, I think it had already gone down. But anyways, the, um, the point is now you don't have to, if you see something on the nearby, you don't have to track it down. You just literally go over to the stop where it is. And so that makes it a little easier for, mm-hmm. than trying to triangulate position and figure out how many steps it has and all that. It's it's a very different tracking method. Mm-hmm. 
And I, for me, it's a little easier. It takes the pressure off. Yep. And so you can go hunting for whatever. But if you're in a pretty populated area and you don't have anything just showing up at uh, sightings, then you will just end up going from stop to stop. Yep. And like you, if you see something pop up nearby that isn't on one of the isn't on your radar at all, then that's great. But otherwise, you would never, ever, ever see it. Yeah. Yeah. Like when I'm in Princess Island Park, there's so many Pokestops that your trackers always Pokestops. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't show all of them, obviously, mm-hmm. all the Pokemon around it, because there's so many. And I don't know what algorithm it uses to decide which ones to show on there, but I've had some that were like, say, 600 meters away, some Pokestops right. 600 meters away that would show up as a nearby Pokemon. Yeah. When there were more stops around me that didn't show their Pokemon. So, and often they were kind of like relatively rare. Mm-hmm. These ones that were further away that were still showing up. Yeah. So I don't know if they've started prioritizing some of the rare ones to pop up if yeah. they're on there versus like the same Pidgey or pig hamster thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing because that's what I hated is like, you'd miss out on a rare one because your tracker was filled with Pidgey. Like, yeah, that's, I, I think, and I don't, I, I actually am second guessing myself now after I said that they try not to show more than one of the same thing at the same stop. So if you see, yeah. mm. if there are th- two or three Pidgeys at one stop, you'll only see one Pidgey at that stop show up. Is that the case? I know people were asking for that. I don't know if they, now. I don't think that when they started, that wasn't the case. They when showed, they started, definitely that wasn't the case, yeah. but I think it is now. Maybe. That that would make sense if that is what they started doing. Not that you, you could still see five or nine Pidgeys on your screen, but they'd have to be at nine different Pokestops. Yeah. And yeah, so... And again, I feel like I maybe saw something to the contrary of that, but as a reasonable idea to cut down on stuff, that seems like the easiest way to literally still show everything, but not have to kind of, it gives you more ability to prioritize. It gives you ability to show more diversity of Pokemon over just showing what's literally the closest thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the other thing. Sorry, go ahead. I, don't know if I, gonna... I was going to lead you into what I think you're going to talk about. So um, I'll ask you a question and then you can address what you were going to say and then theoretically probably address what I was going to ask. Um, I want to know why bringing gyms down is so much harder now because I don't really understand. I didn't read that much okay. into it. So you are correct. I was going to start talking about that. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that came with the Gen 2 uh, Pokemon spawn change was they updated a lot of the moves that the Pokemon had. So uh, again, for those that don't know, Pokemon go, not only can you catch Pokemon, but you can level them up and use them in gym battles, similar to the original games where you're, you're, you're battling other Pokemon. And uh, so their moves that they have, they're not the same for everyone that you catch or evolve. They can change based on RNG mm-hmm. and uh, number generator. Yes. Yeah. Or just statistics, however you want to call it, probability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, each move is assigned a certain power, we'll call it. Yeah. And they changed a lot of, if not all, the powers of the moves that the original Pokemon had, as well as the new ones. And they even added new moves. Yeah. So each move has this type, like it's uh, Pokemon typing and damage, and they've changed, uh, they've added more moves of each type and then change the damages of the existing and the new moves. So Pokemon that used to be good are now bad and Pokemon that were bad are now good. <laughs> and the world is upside that, down. 
<laughs> I don't think it's that strong. It it is for those that for those that have their gym battle methods and systems. Right. That's true. That fine tuned. It it is that that drastic. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll, I'll as an example, like this is even a tertiary change that with Lapras, <laughs> the uh, they adjust a lot of the powers like strengths of the pokemon a while mm-hmm. back and lapras was not changed and this time around they changed it just yeah. kind of oh by the way since we didn't change this last time we'll change so, it now i i heard a thing that they said that this is because there was a lapras event going on in japan and it was specifically for tourism for the, the place in japan that was affected by the tsunami yeah and that seems reasonable but it's weird that like just make the changes you're gonna make yeah, it's like if you're gonna make them, make them then. Like, yeah. make all like, of the changes. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know, but anyway, I had a, a maxed out Lapras that dropped like 400 CP. Yeah, grinds my gears. But <laughs> anyway, so as far as the moves go, each move has a damage and a length of time that it takes to do the move. Mm-hmm. And so when you're battling, you're needing to time your attacks as well as your dodges between and during the defenders attacking. Mm-hmm. So some moves were good literally solely based on how fast they were. Yeah. So by changing the length of time that the moves take, and in the in any case, all these moves were, most of the moves were lengthened. I'd almost say all the moves were lengthened or unchanged, but I think, right. I can't say for sure if some were shortened, but for the most part, they were lengthened. And their damages were either unchanged or increased. Yeah. Again, I don't believe any were decreased. But they were effectively decreased because if their time yeah. lengthens yeah. and their damage stays the same, then they're effectively yeah. decreased. So, um, again, people invest, you know, Stardust and Candy into yeah. these Pokemon that they were good at the time. And now it's like, oh, by the way, the one that you use all the time that took down these gyms, like, you can't do that anymore. Ha, 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 ha. Did, like, did anything change more than, say, the 15% that CP changes? Like, the, sorry, not CP, that IVs change? Like, so... Yeah, so Fury Cutter, okay. uh, one of the bug moves that a lot of Pokemon have, specifically Parasect and Scyther, mm-hmm. were kind of the two main ones that used Fury Cutter. It was only good because of how fast it was and how okay. quickly it generated energy. So it was like a three damage move, but it only took 0.3 seconds to do. Okay. Okay. So you could just like tap, 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 and you'd like fit in five in right. between dodging, and you could mm-hmm. still dodge while doing that. Now they've increased it to two, one second long. So it was like a threefold yeah. increase in move time and they didn't change the damage hmm. or the energy generation. Okay. So now if you have a Pokemon that has Fury Cutter, like Parasect used to be a really good prestige because you could use Fury Cutter really quickly to mm-hmm. power up your solar beam. Now you can fit in like two Fury Cutters in between dodges and that's like, it's tricky because you, okay. you can't get away with such a low CP attacker when your light move length has increased that much. Right. Um, I definitely noticed that with Jolteon. Yeah. That it takes a way longer between, like you could basically, it would basically just go back and forth if you were just yep. tapping and attack and attack and attack. And now it's not. Yeah. Thundershock. Yeah. was another one. It used to take half a second to do. Now it's increased to one second. Mm-hmm. So I used to be able to fit in like three or four in between dodges. Now you can only fit in two. The, the good thing that they seem to have changed and i haven't really seen confirmation of this but i know in my experience with battling recently is that the defender used to attack a lot more unpredictably okay um whereas now it's almost like on the dot every two seconds it attacks Hmm. 
So you can, if you get your timing lined up right, you can like, if you have a one second quick attack, you can attack, attack, dodge, attack, attack, dodge, but you have to do it like all in a row. Right. You have to go like tap, tap, swipe, tap, tap, swipe. And by doing that, you're almost like always dodging the defender's Mm -hmm. attacks. And by doing that, you can take down an attacker pretty uh, reliably with that. But with some of the ones that relied more on kind of like the spammy attack method where you're not dodging, you're eating a lot more attacks. And the defender's attacks have gotten stronger as well. So the quick attacks that the defenders used, say like Vaporeon, it was a five damage water gun attack, which got increased to 10 and the time length increased, but because defenders, they were on like a preset attack timing mm-hmm. already, that didn't affect the actual defender's ability to attack. But the damage that you're taking has doubled because they doubled right. that damage. So if you're eating water guns, like you can't survive that if you're not right. dodging at least some of them, depending on what attacker you're using, obviously. So if they, people are complaining because they specifically tailored their teams to yep. the, the way it was. But in theory, it sounds like this is actually a more nuanced battling game now. Like you can't, because my strategy is always just like, just keep tapping and then maybe sometimes try to dodge. But it was mostly just like, I'm just tapping the screen over and over. Like I didn't even have to watch. Mm-hmm. I would just keep tapping until I'm dead. And then the next right. one would come out and I'd keep tapping until okay. I'm dead. Right. So if that was your strategy, which there's nothing wrong with it. It's not the most effective mm-hmm. in any every case. Like for some, you can get away with that. But yep. if that's your strategy, generally you're going to be dying twice as often. Okay. Because your quick attacks have definitely increased in length and may or may not have increased in damage. Mm-hmm. Charge attacks have gotten a lot stronger. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the good thing. So if you're able to time your quick attacks well enough and make get your type advantage matchups, then you can still do okay. Right. Because they've they've adjusted the quick attack timing, but they've off in a lot of cases doubled your charge attack strength. Mm-hmm. So uh and yeah, a lot of the new moves they've added are are quite strong as well and right. better than what they were able to get before. So like I that that's kinda why I'm saying like they made some good changes too. I think the new one is fine. It's just unfortunate that people get used to the old way and like you said, tailored their teams to mm-hmm. that old way. And like, yeah, like you're, I mean, it's a fairly insignificant investment in, you know, a grand world yeah. picture yeah, perspective, but like in the context of the game, yeah, it's, it's a big investment and it's unfortunate. Like even after the CP change, I told myself, okay, oh, I'm not going to invest any more Stardust until like the new year because like, I feel right. like they're going to change something. And, you know, I was a month late on my, yeah. my judgment of that, but I knew another change was coming, but I couldn't keep myself interested in the game without powering up and evolving and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. So one of the things that I did choose to hold off on was like evolving Kinglers because okay. I'm like, I bet they're going to change his moves because he didn't have very good moves. And sure enough, right. he, uh, he did have his move sets changed. So I saved up a bunch of like 1000 CP Krabbies to, to okay. evolve. So that kind of paid off for me, but, right. uh, yeah, it's that it's exciting times in the game and, mm. and people are trying to figure out the best way. And I think the Gen 2 Pokemon have kind of helped ease the pain of right, yeah, these definitely. changes. Uh, people are more willing to kind of like forgive that. And like they set a precedent with the last CP change. So it's not like this was a shock. It's yeah. just unfortunate that it happened again, like in such a drastic way. But mm. 
at least it wasn't a surprise that it did happen. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that the battle mechanics didn't change. The way you no no so the the way you battle itself doesn't change. It's just the attack durations and strengths have. So it's not actually harder to take down a gym per se structurally. It's just that it's harder to attack because your damage, the way you can do damage has changed. And the way that the defenders can do damage to you has changed. Yeah. You're not getting any less XP for taking down a Pokemon or anything like that. No. Okay. But you're definitely less able to prestige. Right. Like to to train up a gym. So like I tried... I think I was telling you guys, like, there is a gym with a Gyarados, a Dragonite, Gyarados, Rhydon, mm-hmm. right? Which, and they were all around 3,000 CP. It was, like, the perfect prestiging scenario. So I should have been able to roll in there with, like, six Pokemon with 1,600-ish mm-hmm. CP. Uh, You know, wad, like, electric, ice, electric, water, right? Mm-hmm. To To exploit the double weaknesses of all four Pokemon. Yeah. But because all like Water Gun and Thundershock and Frost Breath have all been extended in their attack duration, you just can't effectively take down these Pokemon, these defenders right. anymore because you just can't get as many attacks in. Yeah. So you're having to like attack, attack, dodge, attack, attack, dodge, but you're taking damage that whole time. Yeah. So like you just, you run out of time if you can't get enough attacks in or you die if you try to get enough attacks in <laughs> and just eat the quick attacks of the defender. Right. Because it, the quick attacks have increased in strength so much. So I I think the approach to pres- to training up a gym has to change where instead of trying to get your maximum prestige per defender, you're kind of like going at maybe like 80%. Right. And just trying to take down more defenders. Yep. Um, like next time I do it, I think I'm going to try to kind of like go my lowest CP one to match or to be just under the first one. Yeah. And then have the rest of the six at that same level. Right. So, and see if that, that works out a bit better. And it, it should, because you should be able to actually at least get through the battles. But, yep. um, yeah, taking down a gym isn't an issue because you just throw in your strongest and right. just take it down. So, and I, I find that I enjoy taking down a gym a lot more than, than training it up just because it's less frustrating with trying to sure. get through the battle. So, huh. okay. And so, Going back to Gen 2, I'm curious because I really like the special items. Mm-hmm. And as, as a mechanism to make it harder to just get a bunch of the, the strongest Pokemon. And so I'm you missed a day once on your streak. So you're on your sixth day, right? Yeah. Well, today's, uh, today's my seventh. Today's your seventh. Yeah. So I have, I'll have oh. to go out. So you didn't miss a day. After this. Because uh, today's also my seventh and I never missed a day. I've missed I for the longest time, basically until this update, and this is the first time I've coming up to my streak on this update. I basically didn't even care about my Pokestop streak, just because like I worked, work, worked on a Pokestop. Mm-hmm. I don't anymore, but I still kind of like GPS drift. But yeah, as but now it gives me a reason to do the Pokestop streak, and I think that's what they were finding because these seven day streaks they seem to guarantee these evolution items. It, it, almost they make it much more likely that's what i've heard i don't know so i haven't heard of anyone not getting i got someone on uh, people on reddit were saying that i didn't i didn't get one it seems like it's much more Hmm. likely to get one but maybe it's just because you're getting like seven times more items maybe the streaks them like the streak days 
themselves are more likely to give them. But I definitely saw people saying, I did not get one on my seventh day. Hmm. I did get one on my seventh day and I was pretty excited. But hmm. yeah, I've, I've heard people saying that they did not. Right. Because I've got, I got one earlier this week. I got the steel coat mm-hmm. and was able to evolve my sizer. Scissor? Caesar? Sizer, I think. I think it's scissor. It could be scissor. I've always called it sizer, but <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like why scyther, don't I just say scissor? scissor. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was able to get that and I'm actually really happy with it. It got double steel moves. Right. And uh, I was able to take down, it's actually really good against Snorlax because it resists okay. psychic. So right. if it has Zen headbutt, then it resists that and it's it's got really good attack. Um, and it's got more HP than Scyther does. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. I've actually been happy with it as a, as a Snorlax counter, similar to Alakazam, but it's got better HP than Alakazam. So I think it's, it helps its uh, stamina right. through the battle a bit more. I, um, um, I got my upgrade. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah. This morning. And immediately I was like, the it, because of this Valentine's event, I got like six or seven Porygons over the week. Right. And as soon as I hit 50, I was just like, I was so excited. And then when they came out and they actually did get the, have the special items as was predicted. Um, I was like, I need to get that one. Cause that, that's the one I was most excited about. I was, right. um, I was really, really excited about Porygon too. And mm-hmm. so I had about 60 candy and I'm really excited about this hidden power. Uh, cause I've been hearing about people talking about it on Reddit and, I'm curious to see what it does. Even though I don't think well, it's it's not anything teams. special. Oh, it's I just, know. Like it just seems powerful. It seems good in some way, and I don't know. I haven't tried it, so I don't know exactly how. But I also don't know that I will ever battle with it because mm-hmm. I don't pick my teams. I just let whatever comes up go. Right. Um, but I'm very excited to get. First of all, I'm walking Chansey because right. I've been hearing amazing dream stories about Blissey being in gyms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like hidden power is, is unique because, and I don't know the background on this. I've only mm-hmm. know what I've read, but when you get hidden power as a move, it doesn't have a preset type. Right. So the type you get is as far as we can tell random. Right. So you may or may not have it as the same type as your Pokemon. Right. That's, and it's, it's kind of just quirky that way. I don't think it's, specifically powerful or good it's just right interesting interesting to have yeah. yeah and that's i'm not trying to get like the most it, it's only like 1900 cp so i'm not super right. interested in it being a powerhouse i'm just i think it's interesting that right they're doing different things but uh yeah we're, we're in this mystery world where every unknown pokemon could potentially be a super powerful one i really i was reading you chastised me for using the pineapp pinapp it's pineapple, so I want to say pineapple. We'll call but, it pineapple. Uh, the berries to get double yep. candy for starters. I mm-hmm. don't know what else I would use it for. I'm going to use it for anything <laughs> that I really want the candy for. <laughs> right. Well, I used it on... So there's one Pokemon called Ursaring, yep. which seems to kind of be like a Snorlax. Right. Possibly less powerful Snorlax, but in the same field. Yeah. Like it's a normal type, can get Hyper Beam. It's lots of HP. Yeah. Uh, and it has a pre-evolution called uh, Teddy Ursa. Teddy Ursa, which I have one. Yeah, so Yay. I had a Ursa ring show up on my tracker. I mm-hmm. ran over it, one Ultra Ball, and it ran. I didn't get the great throw, right? So that price. I've me. only ever had one great throw since the update. <laughs> the, throwing, the throwing mechanics changed with the last yeah. update of the app, and much harder seems to get the excellent throws. Yeah, so I use Raz curveball but no great throw and uh it ran so i was like damn it and it was a strong one too it was like i want to say 
1600 and some. Okay. And it, it's so I think it's max CP is similar to Alakazam, okay. like that kind of level. Yeah. Uh, like not as big as Snorlax or Rhydon, I don't think, but right. it's still up there. And, uh, so I was like, oh, damn it. So then I came across a Teddy Ursa, actually right outside my house. Mm-hmm. And it was like a 900 and some CP. I'm like, oh, well. oh yeah. And <laughs> except the, except the ring was green. Right. So, so first I used a Raz and then I threw great, great ultra curve and then it popped out, but didn't run. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to use my pineapp because the right. ring was still green. So yeah. I was like, I'm not increasing my catch rate right. that much. And the Raz doesn't affect fleeing as has been discovered. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, I don't really have anything to lose. So I was like, I'll throw my pineapp and caught it on the second one. Right. So I was able to get my five, nice. six candies. Yeah, six. So, and then, so now I'm going to involve that one because it's a really strong one with perfect attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's almost maxed. I think it is maxed out. I think it's like a level 30 or level 29 and a half nice. Teddy or so. So yeah, pretty excited for that. So I might at some point start walking. I think I'll start walking it <laughs> once uh, my Dragonite's maxed out. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I, um, there's something that literally just looks like a dragonfly on my nearby now, and it's a black okay. outline, so I should go. Got to catch them all. Go get your dragonfly, Rob. 